about this and normally I don't talk about this. I was, I was trying to, I was discussing and lately I've been trying to purge out a lot of things and, you know, heal my inner child. And one of the things that I really, you know, all of, most of my hurts and pains come from, derived from my father and our relationship um, post my sister being born. Um, before her, I mean, I, my mom said that like even when I was a baby, when I first was born, it just seemed like I didn't like him um, very much, um, or was phased by him very much. He was just very much just there, um, and he was more fascinated and closer to my older brother, who was three years older than me. Um, Dorian's two and a half years older than me, um, and I was, you know, more. I was his firstborn daughter. Um, my oldest sister, um, she's the oldest out of us, but she's not his daughter. She's his daughter by marriage. So I was his firstborn daughter. And um, I always found like it was weird that, um, you know, it seems like people would like men when they get their first girl, like they're supposed to like fall in love and, you know, understand how to treat women better and, you know, where don't ever want her to, you know, be tainted in any kind of way because you're the first example of the man in her life. You are the example. And um, so, like, once my sister was born, um, I remember the day they brought her home from the hospital. I was four years old, 1984. Um, and I remember looking at her and, and seeing how fascinated Daddy was with her. And I just, I, in that instant, in that time, was when I realized he didn't look at me like that. You know, he didn't look at me like that. Now, whether he did, and I just wasn't aware of it, um, whether he said that to other people, I wouldn't know. I would probably have to ask, I don't know, my aunt and my grandmother um, to know if he was that fascinated by me. Um, or maybe talk with my mama a little more about that. But it was the first example that I saw, like the first memory I can remember like that change and I just remember seeing him like light up like you know because honestly my little sister is his mini me like she looks the most like I, I still think she looks more like my auntie my mom's youngest sister but she still favored him more than I did I, I favor my mom um and I think that it's just like I mean I just remember looking at him like he was like in love with her and prior to my sister being born my earliest memories of us interacting and stuff like because I was with him all the time because he wasn't working um <clears throat> it's just a whole nother subject in itself uh was you know me being with him me and Dorian being with him and up until Dorian started going to school and it was me and him and he would take me to my grandmother's house or you know you know we would ride around listening to music that's why, I mean, that's where my love of music began. Um, learning music, studying music, breathing it, breathing, breathing it in and understanding it like the back of my hand, backwards and forwards, and, and teaching me about every type of genre of music and playing every type of genre of music and artists. But his favorites was funk and, you know, the Minneapolis sound and, you know, uh, and, and singers that, that sung grand ballads because my father was an amazing, amazing singer. Like his voice, 
was right up there with Luther and um, just about anybody that you can think of that's like one of like the world's greatest singers. Yeah, my dad, my dad's voice was that good. Like he was that charismatically inclined um, and musically genius. Um, very much so like a mind like Prince. My father's mind as far as writing songs and his ability to interpret music and, you know, all of that without even playing an instrument. Um, that my, my uncle actually, his little his younger brother played the instruments, but my father could hear and catch music and melodies and tones and everything, you know, like he was literally like I said, like <laughs> and I know that's a high bar to set it and like people probably would be like, Yeah, right, like <laughs> you saying Luther, you saying uh Prince, like, yes, honestly, I mean, because I know music and I know <laughs> vocal ability and I know because I was influenced by those people. So I know that my father was right up there with them um, as far as that. And it's, it's amazing. Um, and that was a lot of the reason why I was influenced and, and uh, impressed and, and, and learned so much from him because, you know, he was just that good. And it was just like, he was his genius side. He was genius. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's the only way I could describe it. Um, and that is what we had in common because music was like my life. Like my earliest memories, um, I remember he used to have a tape. I wish I could find it to this day, but it's probably long gone now. But um, it had been like 82. I was like about two years old because my dad used to record himself singing or he would make record songs off the radio like they used to do back in the day. Um, and he recorded me, it might have been 82 or 81 because I was like maybe one, almost two because I, I really couldn't talk very clear because I remember the tape. But he was singing, cause so y'all can reference, y'all can reference it to um, Greatest Love of All by, it wasn't the, it was, um, he used to play the original. And then when Whitney came out, um, that's when I used to sing her version. But my first song that I ever sang without even being able to talk clearly was Greatest Love of All. Um, when he introduced me to the Whitney version, I fell in love with Whitney immediately. Like she was my nippy. I couldn't even say her name right. Like that's what I called her before I even knew that was her nickname. Um, and I just, I always, you know, that's that was my earliest memories with him is laying on the floor. He'd have the mic and he would like, you know, have me try to talk into it or sing into it or he was singing. I would mimic it back, with, mimic back what he was singing. And you know, that was that was my earliest memories with my dad. It was always around music. It was centered around music. That's when, that's what we bonded over. We would go to my grandmother's house and watch Video Soul back in the day, <laughs> you know, um, because we didn't have cable. Um, so we would go to my grandmother's house and watch K cable, watch Video Soul, um, you know, and, and just, as I said, like, I, that was our bond was music. And, um Honestly, I feel like he gave me the greatest gift ever because that got me through my life. And music is such an intricate part of my DNA and my language, my the way I communicate, the way I um, <laughs> go through life. Like I can pull a song from any era that can articulate at any time, at any moment, how I'm feeling without having to say a word. The song is saying exactly how I'm feeling. Um, or I can sing it. Like it just, I mean, any way, any way to communicate that, like that's my biggest thing. Um, whether I'm happy, sad, whatever it is, like, 
<laughs> I have a song that could, will come to me and it'll be exactly how I'm feeling in that moment. I know that resonates with a lot of people um, and a lot of people who have parents that, you know, uh, were really talented in a, in a certain field or whatever, like, um, you, you latch on to what you can bond with them with about, you know, um, and so that was me and my dad's bond up until my sister came. And then once my sister came, that's what, like I said, that's when I noticed that, uh, or there was the beginning of the, what you would call it, the, the traumas of feeling abandoned, feeling ignored, feeling um, unwanted, didn't want to be heard, didn't want to be, you know, didn't want my opinion, didn't want me to, <laughs> to say anything really. Um, because it was all about, well, what does you know my little sister think, or be fascinated by what my brother, my older brother said, or whatever. But when it came to my older sister and me, it was just like we got the short end of the stick, <laughs> unless it was something that we could try our best to try to have in common with him, you know. And the only one thing I can liken it to is I grew up my whole life. My father was the popular kid in school, that or you know that popular boy. The, 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 you know, the finest one in school, like the one that, you know, everybody is flocks to and everybody loves. And I'm the nerdy kid, um, you know, the <laughs> don't got the most, looks don't look like everybody else, not considered pretty, all that stuff, whatever. And, you know, you're just hoping that they like notice you and, you know, turn around and be like, you know, y'all leave her alone. And, you know, you're beautiful and, you know, like, this is what you're good at and, like, encourage you and all that stuff. Like, that, that was my life growing up. And it transcended, I mean, it, it, like, it played out in, like, so many different ways outside of my father that I didn't understand why that, what, what started that path. Like, why did I have to be on that path? Um, around about three or four, I started noticing my gifts and things that I was, had natural abilities in and naturally understood and naturally, um, dealt with, um, as far as like spiritually. And even though the things that we were being taught helped mold the, gave me the, the knowledge of spiritual things. Um, it never really, it never stuck with me. I had questions. I had I always feel like I, like this something just doesn't sit with me, and like why we got to be forced into this, and you know it was it was it was it always it started around that time around three to four. That's when I remember like really not feeling like this is something that sticks with me or resonates with me, um, and it didn't for the rest of my life. I respect it. Um, it it made me the person I am. It gave me the foundation, I should say, but I never it never resonated with me. So I found myself like trying to figure out why that path started. Um, I've, I've, that's where this all came up because I'm trying to, you know, release a lot of things. Everybody's in this time period where they're trying to release a lot of things and, you know, work through their traumas and uh, work through childhood issues. And, and that's kind of like... I haven't thought about that in so long. Like, where did it start? Like, when did this path start? Like, where I was, I started feeling like that. And 
it put me on a path where I kept encountering that, like boys I liked in school or, you know, anything. It was like always, oh, you know, they didn't see me. Like they, I, they didn't acknowledge me. Like they didn't, you know, like me like that. Or, you know, eventually when I got older and call myself dating, I guess you would call that, um, I still encountered those type, the ones that were attracted to me were known as the popular boys or the one that the girls like always wanted or whatever, but I never chased them, you know, because by that time I was so jaded to that. Um, Cause it reminded me so much of my father that I didn't want to deal with nobody that was like, you know, the one that everybody else wanted. And that seemed to draw them to me. <laughs> so then I would be sitting there looking like, well, why did you come? Like, why, why are you even interested in me? Like, what is, what? You know, and it was kind of, you know, it was kind of ironic because that's what I always wanted was for the, the finest one to pay attention to me and, you know, finally be acknowledged by, you know, the one that everybody wanted or desired. And, you know, by that time I didn't care. Like, I just, you know, I want to get to know you. Like, I want to know what, because I, I see you, like, I see your, your soul, your spirit, whatever. But because that's what matters to me. I don't care that, you know, you're the finest dude ever, or like all oh, the girls want you or that you're the biggest player or you got the biggest, you know, whatever. But that didn't matter to me. Like that wasn't, I wanted to know how you're going to treat me. Are you going to love me? Are you going to understand me? Are you going to protect me? Are you going to respect me? You know, those are the things that I, I cared about. Um, and in a weird way, uh, was taught was instilled in me to want that out of a man from my father who I couldn't connect with. Because um, even though we didn't necessarily have a bond, he was my, he was my only influence other than my brothers. Like he, he taught them how to treat us as sisters. So that raised my bar of what I expected out of a guy. You know, my brothers are, they're not perfect by far, but for, for me, they are the bar. You know, and if you can't at least respect me and and, and care for me and, and, you know, even provide like they do, then, you know, I'm not going to knock you because <laughs> ain't nobody perfect. And my brothers ain't perfect, but there's a certain standard, like, to me as, as a man that you should hit. Um, that the reason why they became the men they were or they are because they wanted, they, it's almost like they took my father as an example of, you know, what he did teach them and what he didn't teach them. And it made them fill in the blanks and that, that, that set their standards, you know? Um, if that makes any sense, I would have to ask my brothers if that's correct. <laughs> but that's how I interpreted it. Um, you know, that was my view of it growing up. Now, uh, so it was hard for me to understand like why that path started um, and why did it start at that certain time? What is the significance of the year of 84? I was four years old. Um, and, but it did, it started that path of me feeling invisible, feeling, you know, um, unwanted, you know, <laughs> like I didn't have no value. Like I was unimportant, you know, like, and I call it the, it was the start of my father's, my nickname was Boo. And so, yes, that was actually my nickname before that nickname got popular. <laughs> and everybody that knows me knows that. 
I've always, always tell them the story. Yes, my, my nickname was Boo. It started off as Boo Boo. I was named by my, my older sister and it got shortened to Boo. And yes, and I was Boo up until I, I swear I was like, <laughs> I had to be like up until I had my oldest daughter. My, my older brother was the only one, last one, the only that, that called me Boo. And he finally stopped calling me Boo. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess I'm grown now. You can stop calling me Boo. Um, so, but from that moment on, it was like, you know, I called it the boo shut up era. And I, every time I tried to chime in, anytime I had an idea, anytime I wanted to, you know, talk to them about something, anytime I wanted to say something about what we were all discussing, whatever, it was boo shut up, boo shut up, boo shut up. And it's like, why do I got to shut up about everybody? And so it made me become like, okay, well, I know he's going to tell me to show, shut up, so... I'm going to try to get out everything I got to say in that little short little block that I know he's going to give me and before he tells me to shut up. And that really conditioned me and it made me be like that. And now as an adult, I, I'm learning, trying to unlearn to doing that because it makes, it, it, it's, it's rude to the other person to over talk them. And you're not, in, I'm not intentionally doing it. I'm not intentionally trying to be, um, rude or you know not listen to them um or be like almost reactive it was a condition i was conditioned to be that way to hurry up and get it out as fast as i can before i'm told to shut up you know and it, it went with me like it i to the point where it was like that's just me like you don't <laughs> it's like either you recognize it about me and you just think that you accept that that's just april's little uh <laughs> little thing or um or, you know, I don't know what to tell you, like, because this is just me. And, and that's not, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was, it was a conditioning that I had to dig up and realize, like, where did this come from? Why did it start? You know, why, how can I unlearn that if I don't go back to where it started? Um, and all of the roots of all my traumas and all the things that happened to me in my life, it all goes back to, you know, same source, which is my father. And I keep thinking I, I forgave him, I forgave him, I forgave him, I forgave him. I feel like I dug up so much stuff. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't dug it all up, I don't let it go. The man ain't even here no more. Like, like literally not living anymore. So like, why? You know, four years now. So it's like, why am I, what is, what is left? Like, what is left? And I didn't realize that what was left is things that I walk around thinking that this is just me, that actually is rooted in the trauma, like rooted in the scars, rooted in the conditioning, um, rooted in, still rooted to my father, you know? So it was like, okay, how do I unlearn those things? Well, first you gotta acknowledge it. You gotta acknowledge, you have to go back. You gotta do the work. You know, you gotta do the work. You gotta go, you gotta dig deep and look at all those things that make up you. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it. You know, those things that we think and we said, like, okay, these are conditions that in order to be with me, you have to meet da 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 Well, where do those conditions come from? Where are they rooted from? Nine times out of ten, they're rooted from fear. They're rooted from traumas. They're rooted from hurt. They're rooted from pain. They're rooted from... So you begin... Those are guards. You create guards. And, and all these things this person has to meet before you deem them worthy. 
to come inside that door to know the real you, you know? And, you know, it's not, I mean, it, it, it applies not only to just, you know, women or, you know, it applies to men too, you know, because there's a lot of traumas that boys go through and men go through that are different from, you know, what women go through, but it doesn't mean they're, they're no less damaged. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're no less rooted in traumas. Um, a lot of the men walking around, I've noticed lately, um, you know, people that's living out their life right now, that you can see that they're going through their, their transformation, and, you know, healing process and all that, is they were, they were so rooted in those conditionings that for them to even think to step out of that, they feel, and it's like an automatic thought that they, they're weak or, you know, that <laughs> a lot of dads teach their sons, oh, you know, you can't be that, that's feminine. Don't be feminine. Don't be, you know, you got to be the male. You got to be the, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you can't show emotion. You got to be, I remember, I remember my dad used to teach my brother that. I remember those conversations. I used to watch him do that. Like, you know, my brother was standing, he was talking to my mama one time and I think he had his hand on his hip or something like that. Or he was doing something and his, his, his hand went over like limp, like, and daddy had like a whole fit, like, like wanting to teach him, like, don't do that. Like, you're going to be a man. You got to hold it straight. And I was like, I remember those kind of, kind of conversations. And, you know, looking back on it, it was like, that was my first thoughts back then. Like, if I ever had sons, like, I'm not going to let them not let them cry. I'm not going to let them, my, their fathers, not let them express themselves. I'm not going to let them try to mold them into being them or live through them. Um, it was like automatic thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I I went from there trying to, you know, on my little journey of mental journey of trying to figure out, um, you know, where did this kind of start? Where did all my little trauma start? And then that's when it started. Like I, I came to that realization and um, and it, it, it started that of me always seeming to be drawn to somebody that I really, really, really like and seeing them look at somebody else like they were just like their world. And you're looking and I'm looking at them like, you know, but I'm probably the better person for you or, you know, I have a lot more in common with you. Like you would like enjoy being in my presence. Like we would have fun together, like, or almost like, oh, we're like, we're the perfect match. Like, you know, they're looking at somebody else, you know, and it's like, <laughs> so you, is that it reinforces that invisibility thing. Like, you know, I'm never going to be seen. I'm never going to be picked. I'm never going to get that, you know, that one that's supposed to be for me, who's like crazy about me, treats me like with respect and loves me and, you know, <laughs> all of that, like, and I and I always kept finding that the ones that I did like, the ones that they were looking at, is the ones that, you know, was the rude ones, disrespectful, like they treated them like crap and like belittled them, emasculated them, and that's the ones that they were crazy about. And I never could understand that, that dynamic, you know. I'm the good one, like April's the one that you consider the homie that you can talk to about whatever, and you can, you know. <laughs> you know, looks out for you and actually listens to you and actually cares about you. But you look at me as the homie and you look at the one that treats you like pure dog crap as like the best thing since sliced bread. I don't, I've never understood that dynamic. Um, I don't understand what trauma root that is. Um, a lot of people say that's a, that's a mama 
like trauma. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, uh, I, I think you, you could be a product of your environment. You're influenced by your product, by your, your environment. Um, and I was definitely influenced by mine. My, my, my examples that I was shown made me go out there. Like, I mean, it's really real for girls. Like, you, your father's your first example of the type of man that you want. Um, me and my father didn't see eye to eye, so I picked and cho chose from him the things that I did like, and I absolutely did not want the things that I didn't like about him. And it was so crazy because everybody that got past my, like, my barrier, um, they all had traits of him. <laughs> the, you know, they had the, the good one, like we had the music musicality thing in, in common, but all the negative things that I had, this list of conditions of, I don't want this type of man, da, 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 they all had them. And they were all versions of him, just different versions of him. And it was like, how did I attract that? Like, why do I attract that? <laughs> why do I not care nothing about them? Like coming after me at first and then as time goes on they get in my mind somehow or my head somehow you know and now I'm trying to prove myself to them like that I'm the right woman for them and they got all the control and I'm never good enough you know what I'm saying and it was like the same thing I went through with my dad all the time it's like always trying to prove myself I was trying to prove that I'm the I was you know the good daughter I I didn't you didn't have to yell at me or like you can listen to me like daddy I really have some good ideas about stuff like you know trying to prove myself to him and when he would let me do something or would let me speak he would criticize and pick at and you know it was never praise it was never like oh my gosh like my baby's so talented or oh my my baby's so smart or you know wow like it was never that and I never understood that it was like always so negative like why is everything so negative? And I tend to attract men that's like that. Like, I would say my exes prior to me clearing out a whole bunch of stuff. I would I would attract that. I would attract men who they didn't know how to be complimentary without it being from a running game type of standpoint. They didn't know how to genuinely like show love and praise and nurturing to not only to a woman but to their, even their children. Like, they just didn't know how to do it. Um, and looking back on it, that was what my father's problem was. Like he did a lot of stuff. He just didn't know how to do it. Cause I, I have to explain, mind you, my father was 20 years old when he married my mother. My mother was 29. So he hadn't even started life yet. Like he hadn't experienced life yet. The things that he experienced, had, was, he hadn't experienced real life yet. He definitely hadn't experienced, you know, raising children. I mean, he was the oldest, but my uncle and was like self-sufficient that's right up under him and my grandmother she took care of her kids like they didn't I, I don't remember any stories being told to me that my dad was over taking care of all of them like my dad was able to be like a kid or be to himself um you know he was the oldest and um so I, I don't know so I don't I don't really know if he understood the responsibility of raising children so he was a product of his environment um which was not good um, he told us many stories. Um, my aunts and my uncles have told me many stories. It's just, it was a it was a toxic upbringing, um, and with with the exception of my grandma, 
his mom trying to be the best, you know, mother that she could, what she could, you know what I'm saying, with the, with the knowledge that she could. And the best thing that she could give them was becoming, you know, becoming a, a witness and, and, you know, introducing them to that, to that uh, religion. So it was like understanding that, that he didn't know no better. It was a hard thing for me to just like actually say out loud. It was hard for me because I had so much resentment towards him, so much like stuff that I felt like this, this should have been like a duh, like all that stuff. It's like when you really don't know no better and you really just trying to work with what you got and then you're rooted in just like stubbornness and, you know, also fear. My father was, uh, he, he didn't come off that way, but he... He had a lot of fears, you could tell. I, I, I used to read them all the time because I wasn't allowed to really have full discussions with him. So all I did was sit and study him all the time. And I still have that tendency now. If, I, if you dating me, if we're in a relationship, nine times out of 10, I'm sitting there studying you. I study you because it's the nonverbal things. And the, you know, almost like the spiritual connection is what I'm picking up on and, and, and things that, you know, that's the way my mind works. So I, I'm most of the time I'm I'm, I'm watching patterns. I'm I'm, I'm just it, it just naturally asks what I pick up on, um, because a lot can be said non-verbally, than what's being what's being said verbally or even from actions. Um, <laughs> you know, people a lot of a lot of imperfect humans are made up of patterns. You just follow the pattern and you'll be able to see where they're at in their life. Um, so. I'm a creature of habit as well. You know, my people bring it up all the time. Like, where are they right? She's probably in her room. <laughs> yeah, I am in my room. <laughs> I'm a creature of habit. That's my, that's my little place of solitude is in my room at home. Um, I'm very much a homebody unless I really just have the motivation to just want to get out and, you know, experience something or do something. Um, but I'm very much a homebody. Uh, and, I, and, you know, I learned that over the years of trying to be uh, an extrovert and out with extroverted people and, you know, trying to live the go out party lifestyle and it just never worked out for me. It always went bad when I would try to go do that. Like something would always go wrong. So I was like, I just need to be who I am, which is a homebody. I like being at home. I love being in my room. I love <laughs> being comfortable and away from a lot of people because it's just, it's overwhelming t for my senses. Um, and being an empath and, and, and it's like, it could be too much. So I have to go to a place where I can decompress and that's usually in my room um, or just at home in general. Um, I know I don't like a lot of people that I haven't like accepted into my space in my home. Um, and I did pick that up from my father. Me and my father had that in common and when people used to mention it before, before I used to get so upset. I used to get mad. Like, you know, oh, you just didn't like, stay at home like your daddy. Like, it used to make me so mad because I was like, don't compare me to him in any kind of way. Like, I didn't want to be compared to him at all. But I always knew that I had the most in common with my father, which would, which would trigger the hurt in me and trigger that anger because had he really got to know me um, as his child and as an adult woman before he passed away, he would have understood how much I understood him, like understood him and probably could have helped him, you know, had he just listened to me or talked to me, you know, 
And I find myself being in, in those type of relationships as well, or, or even friendships like that, or, you know, even looking at people that like on TV or whatever, like, or, you know, famous people, whatever. And I'm looking at them like, oh, if, if I could just have a conversation with you, I'm telling you, like, I could really, really help you. Like, I don't even want nothing for it. I can really, really, really help you, you know? You know, just be that person you pick up the phone and you need to talk to. Like, I, I can, I, I don't want nothing for it. I ain't cloud chaser. Ain't nobody gotta know. Like, I'm not that type of person. Um, you know, and it's really hard to be that in this day and age because everybody's a cloud chaser in some kind of way. I know that that sounds weird and crazy, but it's really people out here who just does stuff because they're rooted in being a good person or that's their life purpose. That's their, that's their divine purpose, you know? Um, and it's hard to convince people who's jaded and got their own traumas to even believe that you can be a good person. You know, to the point where if you're told to not help them anymore, they could look at you like, see everything you said or whatever about being a good person. It's a lie because you don't want to help me no more. Like, you don't want to talk to me no more. Well, I also got to preserve myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to learn that um, self-preservation. Um, and that's another topic all to itself. So I won't even go down that. But, um, but I used to think that all the time. Like, if he would have got to know me. Um, and would have just took that time to understand me as his child or understand me as a person, um, I probably could have healed him over a lot of things or explained a lot of things and made him understand a lot of things about his how he was, things that might have been going through his mind, things that he was torn over, anything like that. Because my father, I, I picked up on it. Like, he was very torn over a lot of things. He was torn over wanting to go his own path and stick to being a witness and, you know, he was a natural creative, so it was like being working a nine to five job was, was not for him because he was a true like creative being. Like he was a creative being. That's where he found joy. That's where he found his passion. He couldn't just work a nine to five job. So a lot of times he was just stuck and be stagnant and complacent, um, not doing anything because that's not what he wanted to do. His mind was always running on a creative level. Um, very much a higher being. My father was a very, very much a higher being and higher, <laughs> higher being. There's a lot of them out there that's creative. I want, I was going to reference some people, but I'm just going to leave it out. Um, but yes, very much on that level. Um, I would say it like, like yeah, I mean, one of them is Prince, like that higher being, different type of, different type of being, you know, and thought process. And it takes special people to understand that. Um, and you're surrounded by people who just don't seem to get it. Yeah, it can throw you into a lot of things, you know, mental illnesses, depression, you know. And and I'm and my father came from a line of, of mental illness, so on his father's side, so it was almost inevitable. because um, most people that's creatives and high functioning creatives, most of them have some form of a mental illness. You know, it just depends on the level of it. It's like that saying that everybody says, like, um, <laughs> most people that's the greatest artist are they're a little insane or crazy. Um, it's true. Um, they all have a, a, a level of it, you know. But I, I don't really consider them crazy. I don't consider them insane. I just consider they function on a higher level than other people that can, that, a higher level that people can grasp or the, the, the you know, the lower you know, thought process can can understand. Um, and sometimes when they're just they're they're just from 
you know, lifetimes where <laughs> their minds could expand in a different way than it can here on this earth. Um, so but that's just that, like I said, that's another topic too. Okay, so, you know, I, I always looked at my father like that. You know, I wish that he would have just took that time to have that conversation with me. Um, that's all I ever wanted was just to have a sit down talk with my dad that I could openly express to him how I felt, openly express to him <laughs> all my complaints and gripes and all my hurts and traumas, all my, you know, everything just to be able to pour it out to him. And, you know, he understand where I was coming from. He heard it and, you know, ultimately apologized um, from a real place. Um, and a lot of them, you know, my, and it's so crazy because I got that from all my exes that, you know, I felt like all of them that hurt me, they always came back and they always apologized and they always, you know, praised me as the good woman that I, that I wanted them to see me as when I was with them that they just could not see until I really didn't want to be with them anymore. And then they realized, oh, I had the best thing ever. Like I had my guardian angel. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was. That's what I was here for. Um, and you know your divine purpose and you know why you're, you know, birth, you're, like, you're brought here to this earth and what you're supposed to be to people. Um, you understand that you're going to, they, they're going to, their life is going to kind of suck when you walk away from them. So that's, I think that's why I try so hard when I do find people that I'm supposed to help or people that I love is because it's like, I know what you, how your life is going to suck when I'm either being told to walk away from you or I finally had enough and I walk away from you. Um, I've had some and some realizations in these last couple couple of days, really, about actually last week, about different type of children, different type of why you know my, you know why people are brought here and all that stuff, um, who they are and all that, um, and I, I very much so knew and know that whoever interacts with me or um, if I'm mishandled in some kind of way, I know that they're automatically gonna face some karma. It's like automatic, like it's, it doesn't matter how long it takes, they just end up suffering some kind of karma um, because I'm not meant to be mishandled, period. Like I'm not supposed to be mishandled, I'm not supposed to be mistreated, I'm not supposed to be ignored, I'm, I'm supposed to be listened to, like I'm supposed to you know, give you advice and guide you and help you. Um, now whether you choose to do that and you choose to mishandle that, that creates your karma. So I'm gonna stop right here because um, I gotta finish another part and you know check this out. But I just wanted to talk about that and get that out because that that's a part of my cleansing, that's a part of my clearing out and healing. Uh, you know my inner child and acknowledging that for her where it started and seeing it and understanding it and even though I can't physically talk to him articulating it to him in this way that I feel like he can hear me and it's not coming from a place of anger or resentment because um, even when I describe it you know describe my life or him to other people they don't care for my father 
know, all the way down to his grandchildren. Like, you know, and it's hard that, you know, that's how he's seen. Um, I don't know if that would have been his true nature had he got to know me and uh, got the guidance from me that he was supposed to get from me because that's why I was birthed to him in the first place. Um, I was his karmic child. Like I was supposed to, he was supposed to handle me with care and he was supposed to learn from me. I was supposed to heal him. I was supposed to teach him. And he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't see it that way. Um, or he might have seen it and it scared him. I don't know because I do believe my father was gifted. Um, he told us many stories that, you know, I know I got a lot of my gifts from him. Because, um, like I said, he's a, he was a special being. He's a higher being, clearly. Um, but I was also sent to be his guide and to advise him and help and heal a lot of his physical life traumas that he had went through so that he could be a better man, possibly a better man to my mom, you know, and he would have had continued to have his love of his life because um, she she really was. I know that. My father was completely faithful to my mama. Like, I don't doubt that. Um, he's a Taurus. And, you know, once they settle in, they settle in. Um, marriage is forever in their eyes. Because um, they don't play about marriage. And my father was a Taurus. And um, so I knew that he was never going to want to be with anybody else. Like, even though my mom left and she was done, he was never going to be with anybody else. Um and he tried to win her back over. He would try, he would try, he would try. But my mom, being a Scorpio like myself, she was not coming back. She was done, done. Um, and that was almost like that was his karma. He was he was meant to answer for all of the missteps and, and mistakes and mishaps and wrongs and everything. Like, but you know, and I and I used to think like sometimes like had I. Had we been closer in a bond and he would appreciate me as his, you know, you know, daughter, that would have taught him how to love my mom better and understand my mom better. Because me and my mom are a lot alike. <laughs> Scary alike. <laughs> We're both Scorpio. My mom's a Scorpio, but she's a November Scorpio. I'm a no I'm an October Scorpio. And you know, but, you know, so I could have helped him understand her a lot better. Um, had he allowed me, I could have explained him to my mom better. Um, you know, but clearly, you know, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Everything happens for a reason. And everybody has karmic paths that they have to go down. And my father chose that karmic path. And you know, which, yes, he caused a lot of traumas along the way to people that he was the closest to, you know, and felt that he loved. He just didn't know how to love. And I tend to run into guys, and I've been in relationships with men who love me. They just don't know how to love me. And it's the same scenario, you know. They're a product of their environment. They're a product of what they're taught. They're a product of being, having a... <laughs> certain kind of dynamic with their mom and, you know, and having an overly domineering or abusive influence of, of a male, you know, molding and teaching them that that's, oh, that's how being a man is, you know, and, you know, boom, you have the results. Um, 
I'm now in the process of trying to <laughs> heal, educate, teach um, my children and guide them through their traumas that no matter how much I try to protect them from, they have them. They have them anyway, you know, so all I can do is be even more open and honest with my children than my mom was where she wasn't with us. I'm like that with my, my kids. And sometimes that's like, yeah, it's, it, that could be overwhelming. But my kids are very, very smart and very intelligent. They appreciate me being, being open with them and not lying to them or hiding things from them. You know, they'll tell me like, well, okay, you tell me a little too much. I want to know all this information, but I'd rather them have transparency than be in the dark and not understand themselves and understand that people are imperfect, even parents. Um, you know, y'all crazy about your mama, but you know, mama has flaws like that I'm addressing and trying to fix and correct. I prior didn't prior to this didn't understand, didn't realize it was a problem. It's just like this is me, you know. Or I looked at myself in that view of I know I'm a good woman. I know I'm a good mama, so I do nothing wrong. And it's like, no. I mean, when you have something come up in a relationship or you have something come up with people over and over again, it's like, you have to take the time and say, okay, it's not just them or that's not, that's not them picking at you. They're a reflection of something that you need to address. And a lot of them were triggered for me. Like, like you know, I'm, I'm the good person. I'm the good one. Like, I'm, I'm a good friend. I'm a good woman. I'm a good, you know, why would you even, like, try to pick at me or bring something up like that Satan that I need to change or whatever. You know, I'm I'm good. Like it's like, no, everybody has things that they need to correct. And if it keeps coming up repeatedly, then that's a clear sign that that's something that you need to correct or address and reflect on. Because, you know, yeah, I was a good woman in my relationship. Yes, I the definition of, you know, good woman, ride or die, you know, all that. But I still have my flaws, you know. I still have my flaws, and every time they brought it up, it was like an attack to me. Like, you should be thankful that, you know, you, I'm even you know, letting you be in my presence. Like, and it's like, that's very from ego. Very much ego. Um, the, the very thing that I despised and, like, did not like about my father was very much um, rooted in me. You know, just a different form, but it was the same thing, you know? And I, all of this came from me saying, and uh, it was actually from a very unlikely place. Um, it came across my mind because I didn't really understand it at the time, nor I wanted to accept it. And I just I didn't want to hear it. Um, somebody quoted themselves saying that they had to forgive some, forgive their father. But I'm not gonna say the name. Forgive their father in order to forgive the person that wronged them. And um, once they forgave their father, then they could, you know, forgive the person that wronged them and love them again or love again. Or even be open to love again. And it's true. You know, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, uh, like it's true. Um, until you forgive that place or that person that caused that trauma or that root cause or that, that source, then you're not really healed. You're not really, you're not really healed. Um, so you can't love the other person without all these conditions. Because whether there's subconscious conditions or outwardly blurted out in your verbal form, it's still conditions. And what we all want is unconditional love. Well, that's what that word is, unconditional. That means 
you don't have any expectations. You don't. You are truly accepting them for you know how they are. And when you truly accepting unconditional love from somebody, they're already they've already worked through their trauma. They already they already did their work. So there's no fear of accepting their unconditional love because they are truly unconditionally loving you back. Like because both of you have done the work. So until you have truly done the work and another person has truly done the work, there's conditions in there. And that's 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 conditioning, <laughs> you know, it's implanted in our, you know, minds early on. And there's a difference between having boundaries and having conditions. Um, everybody's you're you're always allowed to set boundaries on what you won't allow because you teach people how to treat you. Um, but I, I feel like conditions are like literally like you have to keep meeting this every time or I can't be with you or I can't talk to you or I can't be your friend or I can't that's, that's expectations is like a checklist that's a constant if that person don't measure up to that you're constantly like okay well you you know and that that could create a whole other trauma for them because especially they care about you or they really truly want to be your friend or they really you know that's making them feel like um, they're never enough you don't and that is something that we all fear is not being enough for something not being enough for somebody not being especially if we feel in the heart like we know we're enough like and that is it is it's toxic like it's really toxic to have conditions on people and you know some people disguise it as the word standards some people disguise it as the word boundaries it's not fan boundaries <laughs> it's okay to have standards but their standards is okay this is you know i don't even know how to like explain it correctly um you cannot tolerate certain things that goes into boundary mode. But if they not, they they met that, they met the standards and they respect the boundaries, why do you have conditions that they can't measure up to? Or you're looking at them every single day and see that they're missing that checklist every single day. They're not meeting that checklist every single day. You got a problem with them. That's conditions. Terms and conditions. <laughs> and they're always on eggshells thinking that they're going to get axed at any moment because they don't meet those conditions. That's not boundaries. That's not standards. That's conditions. Slippery slope. And you'll bend and ran away. Somebody who is truly trying to help you, truly trying to be there for you, truly love you, never want to harm you. Like your soulmate, like, because their soulmates in a different, in narrow kind of friend, form, friends as well, because they're not meeting those conditions. Every single day, you got this checklist, and they got to meet them every single day. If they don't meet all every single box every single day, you're out of my life. Or you make them feel, you project that onto them. You're going to be done with them or walk away from them at any single time, any any minute, because they don't meet them constant conditions you got <laughs> swirling around. Um, and we all we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it because those conditions came from my guards. You know, being hurt so many times that I created these little checklists. And if they don't meet these checklists, if I feel like you're not meeting that checklist, then I withdraw something from you. I might not leave you because I'm one of those people that I, when I'm, I'm in a relationship, I stick in it, I stick in it. And so it's just absolutely just cannot be stuck in it no more. And I'm working on that too because that's not respecting myself if I just 
you know, everybody wants that rot or die chick, but that rot or die chick is really not respecting herself. And that's something that I had to switch in my mindset. Of, yeah, there's a difference between being loyal and not respecting yourself, okay? You can be loyal to somebody and tell them, look, this is not, I'm not riding with that. <laughs> Just to prove to you that I'm the one. You know what I'm saying? Like, you should think that I'm the one because I'm telling you, uh, look, that ain't a good idea. <laughs> and I'm not riding with you because this is what's going to happen. You know? Um, it, it, but a lot of us, and, and males too, it was just, a, it was just a, a generational mindset. Like, you're looking for the ride or die chick, ride or die chicks. So all, all of us as women are out here trying to be this ride or die chick. And all that does is make you not respect yourself and makes the your counterpart not respect you as well because they're looking at you like, you don't respect yourself because you know good and well you shouldn't have took me back after doing this, 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 this. But you showed them how to treat you. Um, that's a whole other conversation as well. <laughs> but yeah, it all, like I said, it was triggered earlier about, um, you know, conditioning and and going to the root of, of our traumas and, and healing our inner child. And, you know, because that's where the shift is going to, where everybody has to get down to the roots of their problems and roots of where it is. And they might dig up some stuff and didn't even realize that they had an issue with somebody. They, 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 they love it. They're like, like, I, I, like, I'm crazy about my mama. I love my mama to death. Like, me try to find a, you know, like me and my brother says, we have complaints about our mom. <laughs> because she's imperfect um but to just like try to find something to say okay well this was dead wrong like that you did and i never addressed it because you were my mama and i love you unconditionally because you're my mama um yeah and i think there's a lot of us out here that we feel a certain type of way we might have expressed it to them in a certain type of way but if it's never acknowledged or, or apologized or, or, you know, it becomes a trauma. It becomes a root. You know, it's rooted in there and it needs to be dug out. Like, you know, like I said, when you raised and like have the ultimate respect and love for your mama, the last thing you want to do is say anything or, or bring up anything or make it seem like she's a bad person or bad woman or bad mother in any kind of light. Like, that's the wrong, like, you, it like hurts your whole core just to even say that or even look at her that way or even talk about her in that way but if it's something that's triggering you or it's a trauma that's supposed to be dug up it's gonna come up one way or another i don't care how much respect you have for your mom i don't care how much you have respect for your father or whoever the person is or whatever like it's gonna come up and until you address it um and and forgive that root of the problem or that source um because the whole point of addressing is to address it and then forgive it and release it so that you won't be carrying it around with you no more. So you won't have to have a guard for that no more. You know? And there's a lot of people who are guarded and don't even realize they're guarded. There's a lot of people who are. But I'm gonna get to the end of this and then we're gonna we're gonna get to we'll, we'll add some extra stuff later. But thank you for listening right now.